Man. Brett and Danielle, thank you so much for sharing your story these past two weeks. Um, to our guests, my name's Tim. I'm one of the pastor elders here, and welcome to Trinity Community Church. Title this morning, Not in Vain, comes from verse number one there that Rick just read for us. And uh, on the screen is Kaylee, uh, Kelly Caitlin. Kelly, unique young lady, earned a degree in mathematics and Chinese from the University of Minnesota. She was studying at Stanford for a graduate degree in computational and mathematical engineering. Kelly was gifted. She was a triplet who tied in her middle school with her three, well, with her other two siblings to be uh, most likely to succeed. She was an artist. She was first chair violinist. But her main claim to fame was she was an extraordinary cyclist. Winning three gold medals in the Cycling World Championships and a silver in the 2016 Olympics, she was slated to absolutely destroy the competition in 2020. Obviously, that Olympics did not happen. For her, for more reasons than one. Her career in life was all ahead of her. She could go anywhere and do anything. The Washington Post said of Kelly, quote, a young woman who had become convinced like so many of her high achieving peers that pedaling to the peak of one mountain only meant a better view of the other, taller ones in the distance. Kelly tragically ended her own life in 2019. The New York Times article of her begins, quote, Olympic cyclist Kelly Caitlin was destined for glory. Then she killed herself. Caitlin was lining up for a shot at Olympic, shot at Olympic gold, and an elite mathematical mind would open opportunities off the track. But torment lurked behind the success, end quote. Her father, who himself is a pathologist, blames her suicide on a combination of factors, including her success at all costs personality, overtraining, stress, and physical injuries from a January suicide attempt about a month prior a teammate commented, and I think this one is the most telling. Quote, she got to the top and found out that it wasn't what she was expecting. It still sucked. It still wasn't enough. My prop this morning is actually my prayer this morning. So it's this, God help us to live not in a vain message, not in a vain motive, and not in a vain manner. Let's pray. Lord, you have not given us a vain message, motive, or manner. 
Lord, would you so fill our hearts? Lord, we so easily get so completely distracted with the things of this world, the things that are around us. Lord, many, many vain pursuits. But Lord, to the believer in Jesus Christ, to the one that you have called your own, sons and daughters, Lord, we have no vain message, no vain method, motive, or manner. So would you help us this morning as we work through this amazing text? God, would you help us? Would you convict us where we need to be convicted? And Lord, I just also just pray for myself more thoughts than we have time. So help me to linger where we need to linger and move quickly where we need to move quickly. And trust you, Lord, to move upon our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse one, wouldn't you like to have the kind of confidence that Paul has? For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. This text that we're preaching through this morning that Rick read to us is often a text that's preached to preachers. You might, well, you might not, but you might find yourself at a pastor's conference and this might be the topic of a pastor's conference. It's a, it's a, it's a great text to preach to preachers. So I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. That's, that's a very good thing. But we need to recognize that the audience, the original audience, wasn't preachers. The original audience of this letter was the church. The church in Thessalonica, the, 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 the point of this letter and the point of these verses this morning isn't simple, you know, um, applications for preachers. It's applications for the church today. It's for all of us this morning. Paul wasn't directly writing to preachers. He was writing to the church. For you yourselves know that our coming to you was not in vain, meaning it was not empty. It, it recalls, for those of you who were with us a few years back, our series in Ecclesiastes. It's not in vain. That's that picture. It's not empty. It's not meaningless. We didn't come to you in meaninglessness. We didn't come to you with empty words. Now, wouldn't you love to be able to say that to your community. Wouldn't you love to be able to say that at work? For you yourselves know that we did not come to you in vain. It was not in vain. Would you love to be able to say that in our neighborhoods? You know, it's not, it's not as if in, in the workplace, it's not as if um, he's saying, you know, we came to you and we, we contributed and certainly in the workplace, he would have. That's not the point. It's, it's the message that he's going to get after here. Wouldn't you love to be able to say, as a church, that our coming to you, Space Coast, was not in vain? So let's dive in. What makes that? What, what brings that to Paul and to us? 
that we might be able to have that kind of confidence. First of all, it's not a vain message. Look at verse two. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. I will submit to you that it's because of that message that he's able to say, it was not in vain that we came to you. Christian, God has not given you a vain life. He's not giving you a vain life. He's not giving you a vain message. To be gospel-centered is not to have a vain message or a vain life. The message of this world is completely empty, completely meaningless, completely vain, whereas the message of the gospel is hope and joy and eternally meaningful. Paul's message came in the midst of suffering. Again, verse two, the suffering and the shame he speaks of did not keep them from a faithful gospel proclamation. So, so he, and he's, he's saying at Philippi, do you remember Philippi? That's what Alex preached, what, about a month and a half ago. From Acts 16, he preached Philippi. And that's what Paul's referring to. Well, what was Philippi? Well, things like floggings, stocks, and imprisonment. Like in, in light of that, can't go back and re-preach Acts 16, but in light of it, read it later. He's saying, look, they left Philippi. They fled to Thessalonica. They didn't shut it down. Very well knowing that conflict is coming again here in Thessalonica. Paul, Silvanus, Timothy arrive in Thessalonica not to be faithful tourists, not to take in all the sights, not to simply find employment and settle into the city. They arrive in Thessalonica to be faithful messengers of the good news of Jesus Christ. I submit to us the reason we live where we live is to be faithful messengers of the good news of Jesus Christ. So he says, and I just love this phrase, so we're gonna pick this apart. We had boldness. The, the word there could be translated confidence. The word in the original is parasitzomai, and it's the idea of we have, we have assurance, we have confidence, we have boldness. When, when it's used, this is what my reading shows me anyways, is that when this word is used in the, Old, in the New Testament, it's always related to the preaching of the gospel. It carries this boldness, this confidence, this assurance that's rooted in something, right? We had this boldness in our God. The boldness is in our God. The boldness is not in us. The boldness is not in our ability. The boldness is not in our great gifting ability to communicate the gospel. The boldness is in our God. The boldness is not in our study, though we should study. The boldness is not in our beautiful laid out presentation though we should do the best to present. The confidence, the assurance is in our God. So I want to ask us, 
and I say us. So I'm asking me, do you have boldness in our God to faithfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's where he goes from there, isn't it? He says, we had boldness in our God to declare, to proclaim. If you're new to Trinity, we like to say Trinity Community Church exists to treasure Christ, which is worship, to grow in Christ, which is sanctification, and to proclaim Christ, which is evangelism. That's what Paul's talking about here. To declare, to proclaim, to speak. But to speak what? We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God. We, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel the good news, the truth of Jesus Christ, the good news that you just heard from Brett there a few moments ago, the good news that my sins deserved the, the, the righteous wrath of God. But Christ came and died in my place. He took our place on the cross so that we might repent of our sins and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Christ has done that. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying that they have this boldness in our God to declare that. And he finishes it. He goes back to the suffering in the midst of much conflict. Oh, wouldn't you, wouldn't you, I just wish, can we unpack that? Couldn't, Paul, could you give us detail of what that conflict looked like? Because you know, church, if you've been around here for any amount of time, I believe we Christians in America are soft. We're soft. He's not talking about COVID here. He's not talking about your government's making you wear masks. He's talking about your government may well kill you or your brother or sister in the Lord. All this boldness to proclaim the gospel took place in the context of severe conflict. Remember our first sermon on Thessalonians, it was actually Acts 17, where Paul is in Thessalonica. And so we preach from that text. And the question that I asked us uh, a little over a month ago, was if you got a job and you were living first century Rome and your job transferred you to Thessalonica and you started a Google search to look at the different churches there in Thessalonica and you found out that there's not many there. Well, there's a lot of temples. There's a lot of religious places. There's a lot of worship. There's a lot of religion. But as far as the church of Jesus Christ, there's, there's one and I was asking you, will you join that church? And initially, everybody's thought is, well, of course we join. That's the one church. I'm going to join that church. And I'm saying to you, I hope you do. But I want to remind you, Dad, as you're leading your church, your, your family to that church, your family will likely severely suffer for being a part of that church. And I'm saying to you, I hope you go there. I hope you join that church. This church could one day become that church. 
Will you go there? People all the time, like, I, want, I, I just want to be part of the New Testament church. Do you? Which, which one of those are you thinking when you say that? Are you thinking First Peter? Don't be surprised by the fiery trials. Are you thinking James? Count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. Which New, church, New Testament, you think in Corinth? That was, that was a mess. We go through the list further than that as well. I'm glad you want to be a New Testament church because what that means is you have boldness in God to preach the gospel faithfully in the face of conflict and suffering. God help us. Verse number three, he says, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. He's arguing for the truth of his message. Now remember, Thessalonica is this hub. It's this hub of travel. You've got land uh, travel. If you remember again, a month ago, it's the Via Ignatia. That's the road that they created It goes right through Thessalonica, which means all sorts of land traffic. But not only that, it was right there on the sea and rivers flowed into it. And so you've got all this New York City in first century um, Thessalonica, a hub, which brought all sorts of religions, which Rome was okay with. And Paul here is being lumped in with all the rest of the false teachers that were there in the city who had made their way into Thessalonica. And so he's saying, look, in comparison to, or because these accusations are being brought to me, he says, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. The accusations that are being leveled against Paul and his friends are in error, impurity, which is sexual, and deception. Paul is saying, don't confuse us with those who are peddling their religion and their immorality and their deceptions. Don't confuse us with those religious leaders who take advantage of people, both financially and morally. Uh, We're carrying the truth is what Paul is saying here. Trinity, You do not carry a vain message. You carry the truth. The truth in a world that is desperate for truth. I exhort you, carry it with boldness. Boldness in our God to declare the gospel of God. I love those two phrases. It's boldness in our God and it's the gospel of God. In our God, of God. Of God meaning he's the source of the good news. It's it doesn't belong to it's it's not of human source. It's of divine source. It's it's all of God. And then in verse four, he says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. 
Which brings us to point number two, not a vain motive. This is not a vain motive. Not to please man, or we could say it, not for the approval of man. When you hear verse four, think motive. Isn't that how we want to build Trinity? Isn't it? Isn't this? Wouldn't this be like if you, if you drill down and you say, what's the motive? Well, we, we want to please God, not man. There's a, this is important, church. If our driving motive was to please man, then we're going to do church very differently. If the goal is simply to fill every seat in the room, you can do that in some pretty radically different ways. One can be to please man, to turn man into a consumer, and let's make sure we make sure all the consumers are happy and content. That's not, that's not going to fly in Thessalonica. Don't go to that church. Thessalonica is not going to be a church built for consumerism. It's going to be built for the sake of worship. The two are opposite ends of the spectrum. So just want, want you to know, you might be new to Trinity. You might be checking out different churches. God bless you. That's so hard to do. It's difficult. We know that. Our desire here at Trinity is not to please man. It's to please God, which means as a listener, there are going to be times where, well, it ought to hurt. It ought to hurt to hear the word of God preached. And it doesn't just hurt you, the listener. It hurts me, the speaker. Because I'm a sinner in need of grace, just like you. This is how we want to build Trinity. But not only that, it's how we want to build our homes, right? Don't you want to build your home like that? Don't you want to build your marriage like that? Not to please man, but to please God. Don't you want to build your family like that? For those of you who are not married yet and you're looking towards your future, don't you want your future to be like that? I want to please God, not man. And initially our hearts are, yeah, of course we we want that. And we don't, this would be a category that probably we don't give a whole lot of thought to. So I do want to belabor the point a bit. It's more common in our lives than you might first think, pleasing man. We speak the gospel not for the approval of people, but for the approval of our God. Now, in our sinfulness, we lust for the approval of people. We detest man's rejection of us. It's why, again, about a month ago, I sought to make a point in the sermon. The point was, let the gospel do what the gospel does. Because the gospel will at times draw people, and the gospel will at times offend people. Are you okay with that? 
2 Corinthians 2 says it like this, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one, a fragrance from death to death. That's the aroma. And to other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Meaning we need to be comfortable to let the gospel do what the gospel does. And sometimes the gospel draws life to life. Sometimes the gospel repels death to death. But I want to be liked. This desire to please people, the approval of people, to be liked can be the biggest hindrance we face to faithful gospel proclamation. Will I be liked? That's the approval of man. Let's keep drilling down deeper. When we are driven by the acceptance or the approval of man and not by God, we are, we are being controlled by another God. And that God is people. We are submitting ourselves to their approval rather than submitting ourselves to our God. Lord, help us. We are making people to be our functional God. We are subjecting ourselves to their opinions. Their opinions rank higher than God's opinion. People, not God, have functionally become our God. And I'm saying to us, this is what often silences our declaration of the gospel. Every time I cower and don't speak the gospel, probably for me, at its core, I'm being controlled by people rather than being controlled by God. What will they think of me? Ultimately, people are big and God is way too small. So I wanna recommend three books for three different audiences. One is for the adults. We've referenced this book over the years, When People Are Big and God is Small by Ed Welch. It's such a fantastic book. Read it and then read it again and then next year read it again. (laughs) It's just that good. To me, it's just kind of become a classic, even though it doesn't really fit in classic genre. It's so good addressing this. All right, keep moving. What do you think of me and why do I care? It's for our teens. I want to recommend that for our teens. What do you think of me and why do I care? Again, by Ed Welch. And then for the children. So parents, get this one for your children. Paul Tripp, Haley takes a stand. Haley takes a stand. This book guides parents in teaching their children to respond with faith when fear or the overwhelming desire to fit in takes hold of their hearts. What is that? That's man-pleasing. That's the approval of man. Okay. God, give give us hearts that proclaim. God, give us not a vain motive. We desire to please God, not man. 
But he also says, not for financial gain. Look at verse five. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is, God is witness. Paul is denying that his gospel proclamation is motivated by greed or any financial gain. He's saying, I haven't come with a selfish motive to gain from you. Now, there was and there always will be gospel frauds, imposters. We shouldn't be surprised by that. We shouldn't buy, buy into whatever comes across the podcast or the TV screen or whatever it might be. We need to be good Bereans of the word, which means we go and we search scriptures of what we're hearing. There was always gospel frauds. There always will be gospel frauds. People who peddle the Bible to gain wealth. It's a thing. He says, we didn't come with a pretext for greed. The word pretext there is, is the word cloak. We didn't come with a cloak of greed, a ministry that's cloaked where the true motive is cloaked. The true motive is profiting from the people. Verse six, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So not for my glory is what he's saying. How, how odd is it, church, that we so easily live for our own glory? That's what comes natural. Pretty amazing. This August, we will be celebrating Trinity's anniversary, birthday. We're turning 25 this year. 25 this August. You don't, you don't start out thinking 25. <laughs> I mean, we've got, we've got people in our journey class joining our new members who weren't yet born when we, this church was already going. It does blow my mind. It also reminds me I'm old. <laughs> it's easy to live for our own glory. And so if you've been a part of Trinity for 25 years or two and a half months, you know we must be aggressive with our hearts that we don't do what we do for the glory of ourselves. I like to think that someday I'm going to retire. Someday I'm going to die. Let's just skip retirement. I'm, there's going to be a day when I die. And right, have you been in one of these old churches where you go through the, the church and somewhere stuck in some obscure hallway, there's like a wall of pastors on the, on the wall, you know, pictures of, you know, different people. And it's cool. I, yeah. It's history, so it's cool, it's good. But you know what? You've stood before that and you've kind of gone, huh, you know, kind of, that's about the extent of it. That's the extent of all of us. Like there will be a day where, um, well, people my age are no longer in the building and I will just be a, huh. 
And I want to say to you, I'm good with that. It's not about us. It's not about us. I do have this, um, not, it's not a dream, it's just kind of how I imagine things, that someday my picture will probably be stuck in that closet somewhere, you know? And it was hanging on a nail, but it fell off the nail, and there's a crack in the glass, and the frame's kind of busted, and really kind of nobody cares, it's kind of throw on the shelf. And then a couple teenagers, they come, and they, they're looking for the vacuum. They find the vacuum, and one of them asks the other, you know, I think, that, or says, I think that's the guy. I think that's the guy who started the church. And the other guy's like, oh yeah, what's his name? Uh, I don't know, I think it was Todd or Tom or Tim or something. I don't know. And um, they go on and vacuum the church. I mean, it just doesn't, it's just not a thing. We don't want it to be a thing. Not only that for an individual, but for us as a body, we're not about the name of this church. We're not trying to say, glory be to Trinity Community Church. We want to build a church for the glory of our God alone. A group of American pastors, you may have heard me share this in the past as well, but it's too good not to share again. A group of American pastors decided to travel to London. It's the 1880s. They were going to hear two of the best preachers known at that time in the world. They traveled to London on the first Sunday. In London, they went to hear a famous preacher. He pastored a very large church. The Americans listened intently to his preaching. As they left the church, it's recorded that these pastors said, what a great preacher. The next Sunday, the same group decided to attend the Metropolitan Tabernacle in central London to hear Mr. Charles Spurgeon preach. Wouldn't that be fun? They listened to him. And as they left the church, they marveled and exclaimed yet again. But this time, the proclamation was different. What a great Savior. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. Number three, not a vain manner. Hmm. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you. Well, let's just hold there. I'll come back to verse eight. Gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. What a, what a picture. This is important because earlier we talked about the boldness in our God, the confidence in our God. That's good. That's good stuff right there. Often when we hear or when we think of the word boldness, confidence, we tend to think bulldozer. This is not a bulldozer message. This is not run over people message. That's not what Paul is calling us to. Gentle among you means considerate, kind, concerned for your well-being. 
What a great picture that he speaks of the boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel in the midst of conflict. And then he brings us all the way around and we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Listen, we ought to be able to have truth conversations, disagreements in this world and yet do so respectfully. That when the conversation is over, the person knows that they didn't just enter into a debate with someone, but they entered into someone's genuine care and concern for them. There's a big difference. It's not just that we communicate the gospel, but it's how we go about doing so. That our manner would say, I care about you. We're not just trying to get words out there in front of people, and then when they perhaps reject those words, we're out of there. I said my piece, I did my part, I'm done. That's not what Paul is calling us to here. My friendship isn't based on that person's agreement. I will still love you the same. Like a nursing mother, she lives for her child. She provides for her baby's every last need. She does so full of exhaustion and yet full of love because she gets to do so. It's an amazing thing, moms. Moms, you're in the building. You are exhausted by serving. You say to your husband, we need to get away. He sees it in your eyes. We do need to get away. You get away. You're on a weekend away from the children. It's a breath of fresh air. You're driving out of Titusville and you're making comments. Oh, it's so good to be away. And before you arrive at your destination, you moms, I miss my babies. What? What? It's a beautiful picture Paul writes with here. He says, so being affectionately, and worship team, if you would join me, verse eight, so being affectionately desirous of you. Oh, listen to this. Uh, If you mark in your Bible, this is a great one to mark. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Are you affectionately desirous of some people that you would not only share the gospel of God, but your own self? Wow. Because you had become very dear to us. Verse nine. For you remember, brothers, our labor, labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. Can I tell you something? It's okay to be tired serving. Like over, over the years, 
we'll just say over the 25 years of ministry here, we can overemphasize. Like, I don't want to get burnt out. I don't want to get burnt out. I don't want to get burnt out. Like, that just becomes everybody's mantra. Don't want to get burnt out. Listen, die tired serving Christ. Yep, there's something to be said. We need to pull away. Yep, okay, all that. But when we are so inclined towards the, don't, I just want to make sure that, that we remain a million yards away from anything that would overburden us. Now, let's, it's just beautiful. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Let's stand together. Not a vain message, not a vain motive, not a vain manner. God, would you help us in those three? Amen.